Welcome to What the Heck's Your Source for Warhammer Underworlds and Under 30 matchups that you definitely should have been ready for. I'm Davey, your co-host, and with me as always, I've got Phil. How are you doing tonight, Phil? Hey, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm recovering. Yeah, you and, I, you and I both uh, ran into some sickness. I, don't, I think it was just uh, in keeping with the, uh, the worm spat theme from last episode. So. Yeah, old grandfather decided to bless us. <laughs> yeah, um, is blessing the world right now a little bit. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, we're going to be talking this episode about uh, since we are or were or maybe going to Adepticon, um, but in general, any any uh, tournament you're going to, if it's a, if it's a large local, if it's um, if it's Adepticon, ATC, whatever the case, uh, how you how you kind of go about um, reading reading what's out there, and we're we're gonna uh, obviously use the current meta, the current uh, field out there as our specific. So we'll get into that a little bit more in a bit. Um, but before that, a uh, little bit of context. We're recording on the 11th of March, and uh, we got to see. Uh, uh, Morgwaite's Blade Coven, the uh, Daughters of Cain War Band. Uh, just saw the images of them, no rules yet. Uh, Phil, what'd you think? Uh, they look pretty great. Um, <laughs> both, both the Crushers and the Blade Coven, it's like, wow, they uh, they stepped up dynamic models, and especially when you compare them to their AOS lines, which are. Mm-hmm relatively static so right um i thought they were great what did, what did you think yeah i agree that um uh, there is the whip carrying the whip and shield mask one what what is that in yeah AOS? that's that's a sister of slaughter i believe is that's what they're right. called yeah that is ridiculous uh the the movement that they're getting on on yeah. models i think i'm a little bit of a broken record with that sort of thing but uh uh pretty pretty impressive i'd be interested to see if that model can withstand the rigors of uh gameplay but uh <laughs> yeah but they, they've been pretty good with those uh and then i really like uh i like the leader and i like there's the one that is uh crouching uh just kind of yeah. yeah got her got her daggers held low that's a really cool pose um so uh good stuff all around really cool um and excited to see how they play right like oh yeah got, uh i i think you and i were talking that that might be an interesting pairing like uh speedy glass cannony i'm assuming the the daughters will be at least somewhat similar to reavers with speed and not a lot of durability um and uh and have them go up against their release mates the crushes and uh who are big presumably slow and tough and hit like trucks i you know yeah yeah just just going on pure model look you know for sure. Well, and knowing something about their background too. I mean, that's that's pretty much. Well, I guess I shouldn't. We shouldn't use AOS as a comparison, but maybe some of the lore, knowing that, you know, the the elves are, you know, quick and they're all about murder and blood and killing things, and yeah. orcs just want to have a good time and rough each other up. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I th- I think no matter what, we can know that they are both going to be very aggro. And mm-hmm. that's something that's a little bit lacking, I think, from the game right now. So hopefully sure. that'll be a nice influx for the people who like to just roll lots of dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that should be cool. I'm interested because uh, we've seen some some parallels between uh, warband types, like both dwarf warbands had a resilience card where no more than one damage. Sure. Like both corn warbands had that. So I wonder if there's going to be some 
parallels you could draw from the Iron Jaws or uh, Iron Skulls uh, warband if there's uh, some some mechanics that'll make the jump or something like that, like the Too Dumb to Die or something. Yeah, like that. maybe or or cunning but brutal and brutal but cunning. <laughs> sure. right, I mean, right. you just straight up transplant those cards into this seemingly Oof. maybe stronger warband, and I uh, I'd be scared. Yeah, oh, that that'd be cool um anyway we'll uh we'll talk a little more about that when they uh when they come around i think i've got a good uh recommended listening for the blade coven but we'll see so, oh all right um uh we'll do some quick community shout outs here uh this one is a little bit uh tied to what i've been doing lately i, I managed to get out we had a uh, our uh some new additions to our local um uh, local crew um uh josh bryan and skyler who just got into the game in a big way and they've been a real enthusiastic part of our league it's been super awesome to have them out. Um, they were having a uh, Adepticon prep hangout, and I popped by and played some games with uh, each of them, and had a had a really good time. And uh, that was just that random thing where you know we were posting our event on Facebook. They saw it in passing and got connected, um, and uh, so uh, wanted to you know give those guys a shout out, but in a, in a more um, general sense to all the all the people out there who are working on their uh, on their local who are uh, running those events and putting things on Facebook, uh, and stuff, you know, the, the things that you did that uh, got this crew connected to us, um, and vice versa. Uh, the, the people who are doing that work out there are, are really kind of the, the backbone of, uh, of the hobby, you know, growing it at that level so that people get into it enthusiastic enough that they can go to the big events that we, uh, we sometimes probably give more attention to than, than we should in the uh, podcasting <laughs> and world, you know? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, and uh, it's been mentioned in a different couple of different places, but uh, uh, No Gets No Glory had a, a really great article about um, uh, about well, I guess uh, self care was a term that came up a few times, but just uh, uh, just uh, being in the right headspace and figuring out how to get the get the most from your games on on like a more I don't know uh, cerebral level, spiritual level, uh, I don't know, a lot, like a it's almost like a mental health article on how to approach the game. And, uh, I thought that was, that was really cool. Um, so if I, you haven't I, read it yet, you should. yeah, so I haven't read it yet. Was it sort of more focused around, um, like kind of remembering that it's a game and like trying to have fun with it and making sure that like your, your, your experience is still entertainment and not just like grinding and yeah yeah and setting your expectations like knowing what you're trying to get out of it and you know okay so, sure 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 um, yeah and uh just some some valuable stuff to make sure that you are enjoying it because it is an, a game uh and then but it's also you know it's something we put a lot of time into so like uh you know a, a, you know just matching uh matching your goals and matching your efforts with uh, what you want to get out of it i guess would be the cool that's um, super cool but, yeah, he's a he's a very uh, eloquent writer in general. I, he's one of my most laugh out loud blogs that I <laughs> that I read, and uh, and he did a, a a great job with this too. So uh, shouts there. Uh, as far as what the heck is going on with you, I already mentioned it. I I popped over, um, played with some of the local guys. Uh, that is leading into week seven of our league. I think we're counting those games for it. I don't know if they've. Uh, sent results or anything like that but we are we're coming to the close of our our league i've been totally um addicted to worm spat i've been having a ton of fun playing with them I, it's um uh, 
I was talking to Tony Field, and I think he was he was saying that he was feeling a little uh, burned out on the meta, and it was just kind of fun to have a, a weird puzzle to put together, and that's what they feel like. Um, so, been trying different play styles with them and really enjoying them. Awesome. Uh, what about you? Um, well, I haven't really done a whole lot in the hobby lately because I've been pretty sick. But uh, be right before I got sick, I put together an Objective Eyes deck that I got to try out and for sim- similar reasons to Worms Fat, whereas like, I've been uh, pretty much exclusively playing Hrothgorn for a few weeks um, where every game I was playing Hrothgorn with the same, same build, trying to focus down an idea for Adepticon, which mm-hmm. may not be going to now. Um, yeah. But, but so I just wanted a break and something for the local league and it was a lot of fun. And I think people had a hard time with it um, just because they weren't sure what exactly I was doing. Um, and that was, that was kind of cool to give a different, um, a different challenge for people to try and deal with. So um, I think I might try it out again. Um, it, nice. it did really well, but I think it caught people off guard. So if they see it coming, I, I'd like to see how how they can uh, sort of come back at it now that they know what it's doing. I have a sense of some of the things that it can do. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, uh, that's a good point. Um, there's something that uh, is going on with you that we have overlooked a few times. We've, we've, uh, we've alluded to the fact that maybe... You know, as of as of the recording of this podcast, Adepticon is still um, scheduled to go down. I think they're offering free uh, re- refunds for anybody who uh, elects not to travel um, because of uh, novel coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Um, and uh, but uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, Illinois and Chicago uh, events getting shut down. So it's quite possible by the time you hear this, uh, Adepticon will be canceled. Um, we each have our own. Uh, reasons for not going i um uh i'm still on the fence i work in pre-hospital healthcare and have some uh ethical concerns about uh whether it's a responsible thing for me to to do there um but uh phil if you can't go to adepticon how are you going to earn your spot to uh the grand masters well (laughs) Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I I've already earned my spot to the grandmasters by whoop, whoop. not actually earning it and instead <laughs> just lucking into it. So, you know, uh, it's sometimes better to be lucky than to be good. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you had to get the glass somehow. So. <laughs> uh, uh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was one of the, I believe it's 10 people that was drawn from the first drawing um, yeah. to go. So I do have a spot, um, at least at the time that they offered it, I said, yep, I can definitely go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that by September, all of this stuff that's sort of potentially threatening large group gatherings is sort of blown over and we can uh, just go about our business without worrying. Um mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so <laughs> for now, anyway, I am planning to attend Nova and play in the Grandmasters tournament, and we'll see how that goes. Um, that is awesome. In, uh, in, in theory, I'm going as well. Uh, I, I got the card and um, the 
what what I'm told is supposed to be enough. Although every time I send something to the uh, official G Dub um, a- address, I've never received a reply. So a little yeah. bit shaky ground there. But it'd be cool if we had a uh, if we had a what the hex delegation going. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I mean, and I hopefully mean, not have the both of us end up at the very bottom of the pile. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's got to be somebody else drawn to go who's who's who we can maybe beat right (laughs) um but i mean yeah that that atc win i i would hope should count uh, you know if for nothing else because you know that's that's actually the first ever uh team tournament at least in america that they did for underworlds i don't know if it's the first in the world but but so it would i think it would be good for that to be recognized but yeah uh, i don't get to make these rules so sure (laughs) Uh, before we jump into the main thing, you had the idea of a, a little, a little uh, side note, as since we're talking about um, the, the concerns with COVID-19 uh, and such, you wanted to uh, bring something up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, we've got some pretty standard tournament etiquette. Um, just, I think this is probably pretty standard across most games where, you know, you would shake hands and you, you know, recognize that like, Hey, it's okay for you to move my models or whatever. And like, generally, you know, there's with it being a physical game and you're sitting just across the table from people that, um, you're generally going to be, you know, animated and, and dealing with another person and interacting. Um, and I think that's all great. And then that should continue. But, um, just a couple points that I th- have been thinking about lately that if you are going to go to a tournament like Adepticon, um, just keep in mind that like, it's probably a good idea not to shake hands. Um, that's a good way to end up, you know, sharing stuff that you probably don't want to be sharing. And um, I think you can definitely still be uh, a good sport and you can definitely make sure that you let your opponent know you just don't have to do it through a handshake. Mm-hmm. Um and as as the receiving end, if somebody says like, you know, no, I don't want to shake hands, know that they're, you know, they're not doing it to be a poor sport. They're doing it because they're probably thinking about these same things. Yeah. Um, and then uh, sort of along those lines, also, you know, if you're going to need to move models like you, you use distraction or something, um, it's probably best to ask um, your opponent to move the model where you want it to go. Um mm-hmm. Obviously, some of that is up to personal discretion as to how, you know, how comfortable are you? Do you think you're going to have a chance to wash your hands pretty soon after your game or whatever? Do you have hand sanitizer with you? But, um, it's, you know, it's so easy to just sort of say, hey, I want to, you know, move him to that hex and just point to it and they can move it. And you don't even have to worry about that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I've started doing that more and more, uh, just in general, just to build a habit, um, I sure. think it first occurred to me seeing, uh, uh, I think, uh, actually watching the, uh, last year's Adepticon finals, uh, Amon had like really beautifully painted models and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess I wouldn't want to be handling someone else's like, you know, commission painted stuff yeah. without their yeah. permission. So it's, it's not a bad habit to be in. Yeah. As, as far as the shaking hands, I'm, I'm going to propose that we all just like Wakanda salute each other. Oh um, yeah. All right. There you go. Good alternative. Good, good cross, other, cross fists, little head nod. Good yeah. other option. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, just, just because, you know, with, with cons being what they are and with tournaments being what they are, and you're usually going to be, you know, 
sat down playing for extended periods. Um, it's generally a good idea to, you know, if you're going to like eat or drink anything between games or even during games, try to wash your hands if you can. I know it's, it probably sounds like, all right, yep, everybody's telling me to wash my hands, but like, really that that's going to be the best thing you can do to make sure that, um, we don't, we don't spread anything around. Um, yeah, these are, you know, it's super fun to get together with all these people and play these games, but with it being a physical medium like this, it is, it is a risk. And it's just, if we want tournaments like this to be able to continue in times like these, we're going to have to take, you know, a few extra steps, but I think sure it's yeah. all doable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we often, it is often remarked upon how, uh, cool and supportive a community underworlds has been uh and this is just another way for us to be supportive of each other's uh take care of your health and take care of the health of uh of your fellow gamers so yeah um but uh speaking of akon or whatever your next tournament is um you got to get ready for it in more ways than one so we're going to be talking about uh how to get ready for uh matchups um are we re- you ready for main topic here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, we're going to be talking kind of a general approach, and then we've sort of broken it down uh, into what we think is sort of the top of the pile right now. Uh, what is the field and what are some of the oddballs? And when I when I talk about top of the pile or, or the cut in the field, that, that came from a conversation I had with uh, Mike Carlin, who was talking about uh, when you're when you're building a deck. When we say preparing, it's, it's, uh, it's selecting your faction, building your deck and then getting the practice are all the ways you're preparing. But he, he says, uh, he was telling me like, it feels like right now you need to, you, you have to be prepared to beat the war bands in the cut, which is to say, you know, the generally perceived, generally perceived most powerful war bands or most popular war bands. Um, you know, so right now we'll get into some of the specifics later, but maybe you're, you're grim watching your thorns. You need to be able to beat those, but you also have to be able to beat the field, which is to say you need to be flexible enough to, to beat things that are not necessarily like, it's not good enough to say, okay, here's the top four war bands. Can I beat them? You have to be prepared for, for more than that. Um, and, uh, and you will potentially see a lot of those in the field. Like I can say in my last Adepticon experience, uh, what I saw, I mean, obviously this is in, in night vault, but I saw Reavers, Molog, uh, Skaven and, uh, Sepulchral Guard. So I had a, I had a really weird, uh, mix of of opponents there and you know you could you could face those and if you're not prepared for the field then you won't even make the cut so yeah definitely um in a more general sense um you know from your your starting you should be thinking you know right when you're first starting like what am i going to do against you know aggro play style what am i going to do against objective play style what am i going to do against control play style and then uh when you have a general sense of that then you can make that more specific uh, as far as that goes, we were talking about some different ways to, to manage as we talk through these matchups, um, with, with your own, uh, deck selection and play style, you should be thinking of different ways to, uh, to beat a particular matchup. And we, we try to classify it in a few, few different categories. And obviously any, anytime you play, they're going to overlap a little bit, but, um, um, you want to run us down some of those. Sure. Yeah. So, so some pretty, sort of general um, ideas of like what what you can be thinking about doing um is are you going to be out 
outpacing your opponent or outracing them. Um, this I think comes up a lot in um, like aggro into aggro matchups, traditional shade spire matchup. You know that both sides are going to get to do something. Um, the question is like who's going to end up on top, um, and I think that that can look like an uh, are you just trying to outrace your opponent? You're you're just trying to do your game plan. You stick to it, you you know, and you just hope for the best and come out on top because you know you can't necessarily stop your opponent's game plan. Yeah, um, I think uh, often we'll see someone, you know, like uh, Grimwatch will often have this kind of plan, of like they just burst scoring so fast um, and they have such a high scoring cap that, you know, maybe they just like, you know what, I'm just going to do my thing. You try to stop me. I'm not going to worry so much about you. You try and you're, it's, it's on you to stop yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I think the other place I saw this, uh, or it reminds me of is, uh, back in night vault when I, w you and I were both trying out some control decks and I was, uh, taking, uh, steel cities, surgical steel hearts, um, Mike Carlin's yeah. build. So like a control steel hearts and you had control Molog and you and I were kind of it, in a similar way. We we're in a race, but it was like this, this standoff, uh, control race. And, uh, it was the idea of like, okay. Like if I stick to my game plan and you stick to yours, who's going to win, you know? Um, and, and so it was yeah, like, if you think that you can just stick to your particular game plan and, uh, and still come out on top, um, then that's what this, this, uh, particular yeah. strategy would be. Yeah. And I guess now that I think about it some more, um, although I said like, this is aggro and aggro, I think this, this actually might be almost any time where you have the same, the same strategy going into each other. Um, because, ultimately like because there's not that counterplay necessarily i mean control gets a little weird but we can talk more about that um but like if you're doing aggro into objectives by definition by trying to be aggro you're kind of trying to deny the objective player from holding objectives mm -hmm. and and you know vice versa they're trying to like stop aggro from getting their kills Mm -hmm. But if you have objectives into objectives or aggro into aggro, you know, both aggro players are going to get to do what they want. And if you're mm -hmm. doing objectives into objectives, you kind of are both going to get to do what you want, except that there's going to be that fight over that third objective, mm -hmm. um, depending on how the board gets set up. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think I think we kind of end up seeing that a lot right now in like Thorn's Grimwatch, which is one of those cut matchups. And I think we see Thorn's fall short a lot um because grimwatch have that huge burst score when they um can get those crazy turns of in the name of the king and you know uh temp victory and you know uh uh swift, swift capture. capture into um combo strike great yep, gains yep yep yeah. and they get it they get it all going they get you know 10 11 glory in the turn and that's like well uh <laughs> good luck see ya yeah um well you mentioned denial and we we kind of think and this is not necessarily purely a control play style but that that's another that's uh, another sort of archetype that we're we're talking about and i would say that's specifically you know again say the objective matchup like i'm building with the idea that i'm going to uh i'm putting specific cards in that will allow me to move or shift objectives i mean things is why you see Russ's prize so often is that even in even in decks that 
aren't doing a lot with objectives, restless prize or mischievous spirits are showing up in there. And those are almost purely for a, for a denial thing. So yeah, that's people saying like, Hey, I'm going to try this to, to, you know, my, my strategy to beat this thing is, is denial. Um, and maybe destroying objectives. Like maybe you lean harder into that. Uh, maybe if you're, you're concerned with aggro, I'm going to deny by including, uh, more health upgrades and, uh, Dwarden resilience or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. For sure. And, and I think, um, like, like you mentioned that control leans pretty heavily into denial. Um, and I, and I think in some ways that's, that's the whole point of control. I mean, that's kind of why it's called control. You're, you're taking control of the game and making sure Mm -hmm. that you do what you want and your opponent can't do what they want to do. Um, but, um, I think, I think it is, it's worth, it's worth pointing out that with denial, you inherently are adding some risk, um, because, and we can, we can probably talk about this more as we get through the cut in the field, but you, you don't want to seed your deck too heavily towards denying one specific thing. Mm. Um, this, this can kind of come up in like how much objective denial can you put in a deck before it becomes a hindrance when you go up against control or aggro. Right. Um, I think a classic example would be like, Hey, I brought all this stuff to keep things off of objectives and Oh, look, I'm going into, you know, full aggro Hrothgorn. Right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those power cards are now just dead. Like sure. Unless, unless you built it so that, playing those denial cards also somehow score you glory, which I think is actually where objective destruction is really strong right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but unless they actually further your goals, then there is the potential that you've built a deck that in certain matchups is kind of useless. Sure. I mean, I, I think a great example is a uh, warding scroll. It's a universal from Nightfall. Oh, sure upgrade discard to just automatically cancel a spell incredibly powerful i've i've used it uh once or twice put it in decks where i felt like uh, uh curse breakers were just so prevalent that i needed them uh needed that extra help but that's a, a great example of a card that is 100 dead into uh <laughs> quite quite a few matchups so yeah uh, well and that that maybe goes um to what john said in our last episode where he was saying magic really is almost its own play style. Mm-hmm. Um, but really only one warband does it well. So mm-hmm. sure. um, building denial around it is, as you said, super, super risky. Um, but if you really thought curse breakers were going to be the thing to beat, maybe it's worth it. But um, I think, I think generally you'll see a mixed enough field that that's, that's pretty. Yeah. Uh, and then, the uh, the other strategy, and this is this is perhaps slightly questionable as a strategy we put there is is uh, dodge. Um, so you're you're going to outrace, you're going to deny, or you're going to dodge. Uh, and by dodge, we just mean hope you don't hope you don't face that. Like you might say, man, this not only is this matchup bad, but I have to sacrifice too many things for it to not be bad. Um, but maybe you make the medical and say, you know what? Uh, I don't think that's going to be out there. Like, I think I've got a weakness to, you know, all out fast, uh, you know, like Reaver or Godsworn aggro. I just don't think I'm going to see it often enough. So I'm not going to take the extra precautions against that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, 
it's it's partially you know it might be dodge as in i hope i don't play against it or it might just be like okay if i play against it uh i'm going in with the understanding that i'm you know maybe a, a 40 60 or a 35 65 uh, against me and i just have to hope to get lucky enough to power through that one yeah um, and i think i think this can be a valid strategy when we're in the field portion mm-hmm. of the game sure. where we're thinking okay what am i what am i seeing as the field what am i thinking as like it's gonna be there but not in super high numbers and it's not gonna probably make it to day two i think mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that if you feel like you have trouble against you can just plan to dodge it and hope for the best yeah you should probably not plan to dodge something that is expected to make the cut yes yeah. I think if you if you're if you're saying you know what Grimwatch I have to dodge that um, uh, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. Come if you if you know it could happen. You could luck out and not face Grimwatch in the day one, and you maybe make it to day two in a big sure. tournament. I can yeah. almost guarantee you though that if that happens, you are gonna face Grimwatch on day two. So you know it's. Uh, at that point, I think you have to start questioning whether or not you can really get away with uh, what you've got. Right. Um, yeah. And actually, to reach back to our previous episode as well, uh, John, when Reese was talking about, uh, it's a little bit of a rock, paper, scissors out there right now. Uh, yeah. And you may be making the call that, okay, you know, I'm I'm paper. I don't think there's a whole lot of scissors out there. You know, I, you know if you... If you know your main weakness is to control and you don't feel like there's a lot of people playing control, maybe that's your, you know, maybe you're okay with making that be your, your dodge. So, and it almost feels, I mean, that's what I've been finding is as I play against more and more different opponents and war bands, I keep finding like, oh man, I have, you know, I I have a big blind spot or weak spot against this particular war band. And, you know, it, you, it may not be possible to, you know, adequately cover every single matchup. And that's, that's probably a good thing for the game. Like you, if you had something that was 65% chance out of the gate to win against every other war band, well, that would be great. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And might be Grimwatch, but no, 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 I'm joking. They're they're not, they're not, I don't think they're, I don't think they're anywhere close to that favorite and they have plenty of, um, plenty of stuff, but yeah. Um, I think that covers like general general approach. We're going to kind of crash through some of the uh, some of what we think is out there in the cut, the field, and and uh, wild cards or oddballs, depending. Yeah. Um, how how about something from the cut that you think is worth uh, uh, planning for? So I think so. I'll start here because it's what I've been playing, and I think Hrothgorn is definitely something that's in the cut, um, and. I think that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, and and this this is sort of a strange numbers thing, but I think um, if a, if any one warband gets played enough by just by the sheer math of it, they inherently become part of the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, like there will be somebody who plays them well, or a, a number of somebodies that play them well, and they will have enough like good matchups. Molog has been this way for a long time where, you know, in, t- in, in Nightfall, I should say, um, where there were so many people playing him that even if he's not like the world beater that some people were afraid he was for a while, um, he's going to still place well, just, 
through sheer numbers and um and you're gonna see him yeah you have to face him so um so i think hrothkorn is the same way although i personally think there's roughly two different ways that hrothkorn gets played and that kind of makes it a little bit harder to plan for Um, yeah yeah i'm glad you brought that up um tell me about those two ways i I think that's as i've been playing people who I've not yet played and they put Hrothgorn down I'm like, Ooh, I know what Phil's doing with these guys, or I know what, uh, our bud Jeff Osborne is doing, but I don't know what you are doing specifically. <laughs> and that, that makes that first, uh, first round in the best of three pretty dicey. What, what are you seeing as the yeah. two? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think probably the most common is to be playing him as a hunt, like hunter centric, um, aggro build. Um, you're basically using him kind of like a mini Molog with more, tech um just because a lot of the hunter stuff like the hunter quarry mechanic ends up giving you some really interesting tech um like hunter's reflexes for instance is just bonkers yeah um and so it, it although it's played as aggro he's still very disruptive in that way and so i think um an aggro build is going to be very common he's going to want to just come and smash faces and he does it pretty well he's speed four to start and he hits really hard mm-hmm. um so so there's that's i think probably the most common way i don't know what you've seen playing against more people who are playing him um but that's sort of my impression I, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm skewed because you have played a more control style. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so I, I keep, I keep expecting that and deploying as if that might be the case. And then, uh, having Rothgorn just sprint at my face. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Ah, no. Yeah. So. Um, but as you said, and this is what I've been trying to do is that I think he can lean pretty well into control. Um, as his sort of other style and it's, it's really almost a flex, um, is sort of an aggro sure. control. Um, but because he has a really strong in faction score off of objective destruction or flipping, which is mm-hmm. unique to them and some really easy, just score like for doing nothing cards. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got some really strong passive glory and he can score off of objective destruction. So um, yeah. people can sort of do the control denial game with Hrothkorn, and then as soon as you are like, oh man, I've got to come and stop him from doing that stuff, he's going to then be able to whip out his hunting knife and be like, all right, four damage time. Let's, yeah. you know. Whichever, yeah, whichever build they go for, it's really difficult to stop him from powering up because of that passive glory you're talking about. Like he often has ways to apply two to three upgrades before you're really engaged in if they're the right two or three upgrades, man, it is bad, bad times. For me with Rothgorn, what I've I've found is that uh, I've occasionally had some success in uh, in the outrace. You know, if if I was running a control, I'm gonna sit back, and I'm uh, it's it's sort of you know denying the aggro or outracing the control, um, or or uh, getting right up in his face right away uh, and getting enough enough damage and enough pressure on early that uh those that uh, once once the other upgrades uh start coming on he's not totally out of reach um so those those have been the two strategies i've found uh, on you being on the receiving and what have you found to be effective options so um 
at least in the way that I've been playing him, Outrace hasn't really come up. Um, it, it's it's usually when I've lost with Rothcorn, it's usually because he has been blitzed. Um, and then since he's just dead, um, the deck struggles a lot. Um, now, I think control handles it a little bit better than aggro, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's still once once Rothcorn's gone. And I mean, six damage is a lot, but there are definitely some builds right now that can put out six damage in a, in a single activation. Um, mm-hmm. And if they do, then all of a sudden your world becomes very scary and you've probably lost that game, especially if it happened early in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I, I mean, if you're playing objectives, you might be able to just outrace pretty well because his glory cap isn't super high um, unless he gets like a whole bunch of glory from kills. Um, and then otherwise, if you can blitz him, if you can, you know, find a way to put a big chunk of damage on him, that's, that's Mm. definitely going to get in the head of the Hrothgorn player. They're not going to like that one bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did just recently lose a game to a Hrothgorn who spent, uh, seven or eight activations on one health and I could not find a way to get that last one. (laughs) Oh boy. Well, you know, sometimes, but, (laughs) <laughs> but it was it was making it was forcing him into some like desperate desperate plays like okay well i guess i have to do this risky thing and he, they were, he was making the correct decisions um and uh yeah and you just you know and, and and pulled it through and i just i couldn't i couldn't quite close the door uh on it but uh it, it forced him into some much less comfortable plays so sure um, so, so uh so that's that's sort of who i th- i've seen is like one that I think is definitely in the cut. Uh, who are who are you putting in there as a well, sure? we've, are, we've already mentioned them a number of times with Grimwatch. Um, yeah, and you know until proven otherwise, kind of top dogs right now. Multiple grand clashes in a row. Um, and I think with with Grimwatch, you it's unlike Hrothgorn where you're know, like, oh, is this going to be controls? Is going to be aggro? You kind of know. Like there's there's not a lot of mystery about what they're going to do. They're going to stand on objectives and get a ton of glory for it. Uh, and the the devils in the details for them, like what what do they put their uh, other uh, resources into? But uh, it's often then with enough aggro counterpunch to uh, to fight you off. Um, I I think I mean the the default strategy you have against Grimwatch is deny that inspire. Um, I even to the point of letting them score. Uh, if I have to pick between denying the inspire or letting them get the score, usually let them get the score because they're probably going to get it anyway deny the inspire and make my next next few rounds that much easier um i think uh i think with grimwatch you kind of know you should know what you need to do and it's just how well you can execute there's not there's not a lot of doesn't feel like there's a ton of surprises there uh, i i would definitely agree i think um i think maybe the only surprise factor could be like how flex are they um Mm -hmm. because like if we looked at sandro's deck um, from the Grand Clash that he won, he had quite a bit of aggro tech in his upgrades. Um, That's and true. He was he was relying on things like Tome of Offerings and Trophy Belt to get some extra glory, uh, if you can imagine that, for um, coming out <laughs> with like Crack Marrow and chopping sure. people up. So um, I, I think that would be something you just have to feel out in each game mm-hmm. to see like 
how conservative is this player going to be versus are they going to come and smash my face with yeah. super crazy charges? Yeah. I mean, I can say an example of that I got to play a remote game against uh, Radic from uh, Miniature Fight Club, and he uh, was a lot more aggressive with his Grimwatch. Uh, and my clue there was deployment instead of the Duke being way at the back. I was like, what is he doing in midfield? Like, oh no, oh. he's he's coming, he's coming after me. Yeah, all right, uh, here we go. Uh, Scritch time. So you know, you may you may be able to uh, pick up some some clues from that. Um, but uh, yeah, so Grimwatch, wh- who else we got up there? Yeah, well, um, I think I think maybe uh, the other the other boogeymen, um, the thorns, um, mm-hmm. they're kind of doing the same deal. Um, although I would say that uh, there's a little bit more variety with thorns, although not a lot. Um, you you're pretty safe knowing that they're going to try and hold objectives. I think, but mm-hmm. I know that some people are putting in a bit more aggro of late than just holding objectives Mm -hmm. um and i think now that we've got enough of the you know some of these interesting weapon options you could put on chain rasps and then between the queen and the um ever hanged they can actually put out a decent amount of damage and they're pretty quick um so i know some people depending on how they draw into their objectives, like to start aggressively to try and sort of get your opponent on the back foot. Um, so there's one other thing to sort of watch for, but, but it's, you know, it's the same kind of problem where, you know, they are probably going to want to do things like temp victory and there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, specifically because of, um, oh, what's his, what's his face? Farclav, mm. um, being able to push a whole bunch of fighters as an action um, onto objectives means that if if they got three objectives and they happened to have a temp victory in hand, they're they're getting two glory, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I would say the one good distinction between <clears throat> uh, Thorns and Grimwatch is that uh, in Grimwatch, I feel I feel like I'd almost rather give them the objectives so that I can. So I can have uh, place the boards and then get in to deny the inspire. Yeah. Um, against thorns, I feel a little less pressure to do that, um, just because I I don't have to work so hard to deny the inspire. Um, so there's I'm I'm more willing to accept an offset board if I think I have the tools to to work that and then try to fight them off of um, the objectives I have. Oh, definitely. And I think um, from games that I've played with, especially with Control Hrothgorn, it felt like if I could get three objectives and have to have them come to me to be able to score their things like Supremacy and Temp Victory, um, that felt like a really strong play. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then, you know, a lot of their fighters, even if they can hit kind of hard, they can't usually take much of a hit. Um, Chain Rasps die to a breeze. Yeah. Um, so, so I think if you are even remotely aggro, you should feel at least okay because mm-hmm. with thorns, if you can kill their chain rasps, they're going to start to feel the pressure. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the, yeah, I, I agree. Um, kill the chain rasps. And then, uh, if, if the, uh, other player happens to use Varclav or the queen to sit in an objective, uh, that is the one to 
disrupt because that is not as easily recovered. Yep. Um, Vark Lab can recover the other ones more easily. So if you if you've got something like ah, I can't kill a chain rasp, but I can disrupt an objective, you know maybe restless prize or whatever the case may be, or a or a distraction. The the person to distract is is uh, if you notice the queen or Vark Lab sitting on something. That's that's a more efficient use of that in general. For sure. And I think maybe just one more thing to call out here in the denial of at least for both of these um, Grimwatch and Thorns is if if you can effectively destroy objectives and just get rid of them from the game um there's at least the potential for making their life very difficult because Mm -hmm. a lot of their glory depends on objective tokens and if you Mm -hmm. can take one or two of those out of the game um their objective hands might just brick Mm -hmm. so um but you know you have to have a reason for destroying objectives you can't just Mm -hmm. bring objective destruction stuff for no reason <laughs> right right exactly um let's talk uh, let's talk the other ghosts mourn flight oh um, boy <laughs> i think they're firmly firmly part of the cut and here um what's horrifying to me about them is that uh it always feels like i got just bad options against them right like yeah if if you let them sit back they often have enough passive that they can uh they can if there if there's minimal engagement they're happy they can score enough uh, on the other hand, if you rush them, then they go zipping right through you, inspire up, and become really a bunch of jerks to try and take down. I sure do. Uh, so, yeah. What I guess I I have some ideas of how to deal with them, but what have you felt have been your best ways of dealing with them? Uh, so sometimes it's as simple as. Uh, I mean, there you can do some work with where you put objectives. So um, this is a really good warband to practice placing objectives on. Uh, we talked about them some. Uh, it may it's sometimes as as small as like the the board selection. You know, not not putting down a board with block texts if you can help it to make that yeah. um, inescapable vengeance. I want to say um, I think that's the one. Uh, a little bit more difficult. Uh, but where you place the objectives, because you know that they're going to try to move through or stand on them, especially if you know they're looking for um, one will, the the odd and the even. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you can kind of predict that. So um, you know, shifting those using using a restless prize or or a standing on it or or that sort of thing, making that that little bit harder um, and making them work. And um, if you can if you can get it to a spot where you can have multiple fighters make an attempt on on uh any any banshee stepping on that objective or moving to support that then uh, you improve your chances uh quite a bit i think um it's it's when you let them have both objectives way at the back and you have to really overextend with just one or two that you can get in a lot of trouble yeah yeah um i definitely would agree um the objective placement stuff is super important the board placement is super important um but it's just so hard. Like they, they only need two <laughs> objectives. So they almost don't care. They, I you know, I've been in some matchups where they would rather offset and just hang back. Oh, um, plenty. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's tough, but, um, I would say that one thing that I've found that helps is waiting to engage, um, until you've powered up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Two dodge sucks when you're first <laughs> charging in. If you don't have any other ways to like make sure that those first hits 
happen that mm-hmm. that is rough in just the worst ways um but if you have some passive scoring and you know that like you know if i just wait back yes they're gonna score some stuff but they won't get inspired and i can score some of my stuff um sometimes just playing a little bit of a waiting game means that when you do go in you can more effectively actually hit um because mm. before they inspire they do have two fighters who are a little bit susceptible um, sure so so I, I have found that that can work especially when you have a big hitter so you know if you're playing curse breakers or hothgorn or grimwatch um you know you you've got somebody in all of those who can hit pretty hard. So if you can sort of wait it out a little bit, you don't, you don't want to wait too long because then they just score their whole deck and are like, fine, I don't need to engage. That's cool. Um, And then they'll, whatever the one is where they score three for having scored more objectives than you. Um, But but I find that like if you go in too early and you just get mired in trying to hit their two dodge and you can't do it, then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they get inspired and now they're accurate because they all start mm-hmm. on two swords. So it's like, well, if they dive at you, they're probably not going to hit you. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think they are like the ultimate control warband, which one makes them really hard to play, but two means that if somebody's good with them, they're going to be a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. I, I've, um, when you say that ultimate control, I've, I've found that often the cards I'm most happy to see in my hand when I'm playing against them is spectral wings so that I know that I'm not just going on with one fighter, you know, I'll, right. I'll have a chance to, yeah. uh, to power up and then send, send more than one fighter in, uh, or maybe, you know, bypass their, their fighter who's more powered up and get back to the, the widow, uh, who's trying to sit back and have a chat with her cryptic companion or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess, and, and this is maybe uh, not that common right now, just given the field, but if you have a way to get in snare, they hate in snare. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have like, you know, get out of here tar- dissipate. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. <laughs> if you got sitting target or something that you can throw on your Molog or Hrothkorn or, you know, whoever the big bad on your aggro deck is you can definitely ruin their day that way um and i guess the the last comment i would say is that uh i found sometimes pushes on them to be um more effective than i would expect because i've used up they've used so much of their uh they've used so much of their uh gambits on their triple slash quadruple distraction uh yeah, so they start to run out true. of pushes occasionally sometimes um, they don't run things like sidestep and stuff Right, because they're busy throwing you off your stuff. But um, all right, anything one else you think makes the makes the cut that we'd consider up here? I think curse breakers. Um, oh yeah, sure. I think I think uh, you know, man, uh, they they have they're one you know them and thorns. They've just been hanging out for two whole seasons. Um, Fact, and just being monsters now. Uh, whether so curse breakers i think again kind of like um like hrothkorn is is one where you don't necessarily know what your opponent's throwing down when you see them some people build them very aggressive and that can be super scary because they have some some nice buffs and usually a lot of chip damage through their spells um 
But some people play them super passively and just sit back and cast spells and they get a whole bunch of mileage out of just sitting in a corner and, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, I can empower twice and then I can cast, you know, whatever the spell version of confusion is and then, you know, do this other thing. And hey, look, I score, you know, four glory this turn because I cast some spells. Um, And it kind of forces you to have to engage with them, but they're tough enough and they hit hard enough once they're inspired that you don't really want to engage with them. So um, both both ways, I think, kind of suck. But I think they, uh, at least in my experience, both playing them and playing against them, they they don't like um, they don't like anybody who can uh, get in their face early and stop them from casting some of their spells. I was going to say exactly that early aggression is, is pretty uh, challenging for them. Yeah. You get in before uh, Rassus and Amos empower. If you get in and lay some damage on storm before he gets to two block. Yeah. Are all... And, and I mean, the funny thing is that we think about them as being, you know, oh, they're these big storm casts. They're super tough. They're so hard to kill. Well, in a lot of cases, it's not actually that difficult um, between lethal hexes and, you know, chip damage and one fast, you know, heavy hitter, even if it's just two damage, you can usually hit them, drive them back and then, you know, throw a pit trap or something or snare or cast your own spell or whatever it is, or even just a distraction. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, uh, one of them's dead. Now they have mm-hmm. two fighters left. Mm-hmm. They're they're running on you know almost no activations, um, and I think that's probably their biggest weakness is having only three fighters. Means that if they lose anybody, all of a sudden they're they're feeling pretty pretty bad about that game. Right, right, right. Um, with the possible exception of the double storm sire, but even that I found yeah. early aggression is is potentially a problem because. Uh, you know, I would lose. I've, I've played a bunch of uh, Double Storm Sire to Hrothgorn uh, of late, and uh, you know, perhaps I'm playing too aggressive, but I'll lose Storm Sire early. <laughs> Inevitably, freaking Thrafnir will charge and just get his three swords versus two block. We'll just go find <laughs> three, and I'm like, oh, now I'm on two health and I'm in trouble. Uh, and, yeah, uh, you know, uh, so. It's a similar thing where there's a backup plan, but the backup plan only works if you have a chance to generate glory before um, Storm Sire goes down. So, you know, early aggression, particularly on Storm Sire, can be a big deal against him. Yeah. Uh, so that, I think, kind of constitutes what we consider the cut, and your local meta may vary, and it, by the time this comes out, it may change, and, you know, as soon as... Uh, as soon as we get new war bands, it may change, but you know, just kind of the, the system, the process of, of going through this is, is, uh, what we're focusing on. Um, let's talk about the field. Like what, what things that nece- aren't necessarily like so common or so powerful that we, you would, you know, need to make sure that you have a plan against them. But what are you thinking that, um, is something you ought to be at least somewhat prepared for in the field? So I think I will, I will maybe say um, there's like a group of the field that are kind of on a bubble where they could maybe, depending on how many of them are played and how your local metal looks, actually sort of fit in the cut and not in the field. Um, and so I think Ripa's 
kind of fall in that area. I think Thundrix kind of fall in that area. Um, has yet to be seen, but maybe Wormspat too. Um, and and so I, with you know, without having wanting to spend too much time on the field, just because you won't see as many of them. I think I think they all have something that makes them scary in some ways, but they they maybe don't shine. Uh, they're maybe not as well rounded. Um, I, I guess is maybe the way I'd put it as some of the other uh, cut warbands. So like. With Rippas, they're pretty aggressive. Um, I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of you pretty much know what they're going to do, and I think you pretty much know that you're going to be trying to deny them kills. And if you can, then you're probably going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. And and you kind of know that that dice is sort of their deal. Like they live or die by those wolf bites, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least from what we've seen locally with Paven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's it's definitely one of those where, like, you know what they're gonna do. You're you're probably just gonna say, okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna like, if I can, I'll stay away from them. But they're kind of fast, so I'm probably just gonna hope that they miss a lot of those wolf bites. And if they do, there's only three of them, and they won't be able to just you know, keep piling on once I start mm-hmm. to come back at them. Um, Thundrix, uh, I think it, you know, again, it, it depends on how they're being played, but you know, they're going to want to shoot the crap out of you one way or another. Um, sure. and they're really slow. So in some ways, if you know that you don't need to engage with them. So like if I'm playing curse breakers and I win boards on Thundrix, I'm just going to longboard them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know that if like, Hey, if I'm aggro and I'm going into Thundrix, you probably don't like that matchup very much. Maybe, uh, it, it is a thing where like, if they can just shoot the one or two people who come at them, then they're super happy. Uh, I have, I have had some downfall with Thundrix when that thing we we're talking about earlier, early aggression. Um, sure. Yeah. If, if you know, if, uh, if they lose some fighters before they really start powering up and uh, getting improved defense and increased health and increased damage output, um, knocking knocking fighters down early and often uh, can really put them in a tough spot. Uh, and we, you know, I feel like we've mentioned that a few times. The early aggression, I think, is part of that prep. You know, we we're talking about it's it's making your deck, but it's also practicing. And so knowing, you know, if I've got reavers, uh, I you know. I'm probably taking some of those early risks if I if I have that chance at Thundrick, if I have that chance at Stormsire, if I have that chance at Rothborn to lay some early damage yeah. or you know even a, a potential killing blow. Um, you need to take those opportunities because they they may that may be your best shot. It's it's knowing, hey, is this um, is this you know sixty percent shot early in the game? Is this my my best opportunity at the game? Because sometimes you can. Uh, and this is this is a particular weakness of mine is I will shy away from that often. I'll say like ah, you know, like I don't want to put the whole game on the line on this attack. I'll I'll wait. But really, all I'm doing is you know <laughs> de- delaying delaying, <laughs> delaying. And and uh, when it finally comes time to actually pull the trigger on it, well now now I'm down to like a thirty percent, you know, or worse. So right. Um, that that's the uh, that's the practice side is knowing knowing what is when is your best chance, uh, and you know 
how how bad can it get? So if I see if I see an opportunity that's good enough, when do I when do I take it? Sure. So those are a few that I I think sort of fall into the field. What are where where are you seeing some stuff that you think is in the field? Well, it's uh I think there's a lot sort of um down uh in the soup here um from the objective point of view i think gets are, are floating around there i uh i think they're a tier below the the thorns and uh and grimwatch uh some because they can bleed so much glory um yeah with their, uh, with their sure. extra fighters um but they have you know they have their their own unique mechanics and their own passive scoring and so it's it's something to be prepared for you need to know how big a problem is snurk for me and what what am i going to do if uh like how how am I going to handle Snurk? Am I going to do I have the ability to stay away from him? Do I have the ability to kill him even if he's inspired? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's an example of the uh, of the gets considerations. Um, you mentioned Wormspat. I, I think that's worth having some reps into. If for nothing else, uh, as a new warband, people are excited about him. Um, people are uh, you know maybe not as much as Rothgorn, but there's there's people who are really I mean, I put myself in this, in this group, uh, really enjoying, like trying to figure out that puzzle. And so those are, those are people who have a lot of reps with it. So if you, if you see someone bringing them, they probably have a ton of reps. So, you know, don't, don't take that for granted and yeah. have some sense of, of what they're, what they're trying to do. Um, you know, often, often they will set up something for, you know, something like they may be doing a seeping rot steadfast defender sort of thing. In which case, if you have two equally viable options, don't swing at the person on an objective, you know, definitely. Um, so, um, uh, I think that's, that's one worth, um, at least getting a few reps or some thought about what about you? Any, any other, um, I, I think, I think the only other things that I'd mention in the field right now are sort of the the aggro outliers, I guess, is maybe how I would term them. So so you've got Scaith's, Molog, and both Corn Warbands, I think, kind of fit into this. And they tend to be really aggressive, um, and they can be really scary if they can get into your face. Um, and, and like, they're all going to be scary in different ways, but um, I think, I think in some ways these hyper aggro builds are going to be the ones that ruin your tournaments. They're probably not going to win, but they might ruin your day. Um, because if they can get in and get some lucky rolls, they're probably going to steamroll you. Sure. Um, and, and I, I mean, I say lucky rolls, but I mean, like, seriously, if Molog comes in on two dice into like two dodge because you're playing more in flight and you're like, eh, it's probably fine. But he just happens to like hammer crit that. All right. Well, see a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and, you know, once once Molog starts rolling, he's really hard to stop. So mm-hmm. um, it's just one of those things where like. I think for each of these, there's there's a different comfort level of like how far away do you need to be, how accurate do you think they're going to be, how many models can they take off, you know, in a given activation. Um, mm. I think Scaith actually is probably one that doesn't get enough uh, love considering how well they've placed recently in some tournaments, but um, they are super fast and. 
if you're not careful, you're probably going to get caught out with some of your, you know, softer pieces and they're going to mm-hmm. come in and scoop up some gl- easy glory so that they can get rolling. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think as we, as we get to the end of what we're, we're talking about with the cut, like maybe, maybe we're, you know, I'm not saying any particular ways fit in the oddball, but when we, we talk oddballs, it's, uh, this is, this is where like, even, you know, there's going to be builds that you don't expect. Um, there's going to be war bands that you haven't seen in a long time. And this is where we're having a flexible, uh, flexible build gives you some ability to adapt to some of those on the fly to, you know, uh, you know, adapt in your best of three. And this is where like, you know, playing, even getting a game against uh, Iltharis and right. having an understanding of how Galing and uh, how his reaction works and, you know, like how problematic is that for you? Um, having, knowing that uh, Godsworn and Scathes uh, are often pretty interested in knocking down a four wound fighter. So if you only have one or two of those, consider protecting those because those are worth, uh, often they're worth two extra glory against each of those war bands um, for Hunt's End or for, um, worthy worthy deed worthy kill or uh, both can't <laughs> yeah yeah por que no los dos um uh, or or you know uh we'll go with your example with zinch um knowing knowing what's going on with the horror um having having a sense of like how how does that horror operate like even you know especially if you have not played as many games just having having seen that once often can uh give you a huge head start uh, when you do see that, when you do yeah. encounter that oddball on the day of. And I guess uh, super secret tech here, and maybe it's not so super secret, but I caught people <laughs> off guard. Um, since objective meta is really strong right now, if somebody is playing things like Restless Prize or um, uh, what's the one where you can move all of them? Shifting Mischievous, mischievous, mischievous Spirits. spirits. Uh, if if an eyes of player moves the objectives onto starting hexes, they can guaranteed either summon a blue horror onto the objective or teleport onto the objective. Mm, right. Um, so watch out for that because <laughs> they can very quickly suddenly show up on objectives where you probably didn't expect them to. Uh, same, same with rats coming back, right? Oh um, yeah. So, yep. yep. Um, they can do the same thing. And, and so just playing against those war bands gives you, you know, it gives you at least, okay, I've seen that trick or I've, I've been made aware of that trick. And so now it's not like a total shock. I might, I might have that at least, you know, the spider sense tingling when it starts to, when it starts to get set up in the, in the field. So, yep. um, I guess what we're saying is, uh, a lot of, a lot of thoughts, thought cycles, a lot of reps going into stuff against the cut, um, things in the field that you'd expect to see, but, uh, there's still value in playing against all kinds of different war bands, um, uh, out there to get, uh, to get a sense of, um, what they, so they don't ruin your day on your, on your way to the glorious top 16 or whatever yeah, it may be. For sure. Well, um, any other thoughts for you? Uh, I, th- I think, I mean, the field's a lot more straightforward. I, I mean, I think generally it's it's sort of like if you know your game plan and you're not caught completely off guard, you should probably be pretty good no matter who you're going up against if it's one of the less common war bands. Mm-hmm. So um, some oddballs, eh? What, what, is, what is an oddball? What do we consider an oddball? Uh, it's, uh, 
the stuff that you can't necessarily plan for. So, um, or that you, that's, that's really out there. So like, we'll say, I don't know, like objective iron jaws or something. Like sure. That. Like that. Yeah. Um, uh, there was an Italian deck that was put together, um, uh, that, uh, was, was actually pretty good. I played it. I played it a few times. It was pretty, pretty powerful. And, uh, uh, but that's not what you're going to expect when you roll up against iron jaws, right? Like you're, you, um, and so, um, things like that, or, or, uh, people talk a lot about the, uh, lost pages build, but I haven't played against it yet. Yeah. So there's, there's, uh, uh, there's, there's these wild cards out there, um, or, or war bands you see very infrequently, like, um, steel hearts or, or condemners. If somebody's taking the time to go to a big event and bring those, they probably practice a bunch with them. So, uh, you know, even if it's not what you're expecting to see, that's, that's where we're talking about with some flexibility, uh, understanding your own game plan and being prepared to, uh, best to three it and adapt. Um, if you, if you go down in that first game. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say, uh, with these oddballs, like if you start seeing something and you're just like, cannot for the life of you figure out what the hell is going on, just play that match out as a scouting mission and know that you're probably losing that first game because <laughs> they probably expected that you wouldn't know what they're doing and they're going to be able to beat you because you had no idea what was going on. Um, but if you can figure it out in one game and sort of know, Oh, that's what they're doing. You know, mm -hmm. you can come back and win games two and three. Mm -hmm. um, I think Tome's Molog was like the perfect example of that where you know, people are like, oh, man, it's Molog. I'm going to hang back. I'm not going to get close to him. He's going to kill me. And then all of a sudden they're like, and he's reading books. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 100%. That's where I made a lot of my ground at ATC. You know, it was uh, usually he's getting the first game uh, totally off of that uh, oddball surprise factor. And sometimes that's all you need. So, um, and uh, yeah, maybe we're saying oddball, but maybe... Uh, uh, shout out to mad skulls. Maybe it's, maybe it's your mad science deck, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like uh, if you've never seen, well, I mean, now people are aware of it, but if you had never seen like hungering, hungering, uh, festering before, and suddenly all this, you know, this crazy suicidal rat stuff starts popping up and it's like blowing <laughs> your guys up. You'd be like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I think that uh, that is mostly our thoughts on that. I, I guess uh, we should mention um, we're we're talking uh, because Adepticon has been on our minds. We're talking about a large event, Adepticon size, uh, but a, a lot of this will go into your your uh, planning process for your local events uh, and stuff. And so, you have any thoughts on how it changes uh, if you're if you're doing a smaller or a local? Yeah, um, I think I think mostly what what changes is that you're probably a little bit more aware of who is going to be at your events um, and what they're going to be playing, um, and so I think you can have a much better idea of. Well, for one thing, there's there's really not a field end cut. You really just have a cut, for lack of a yep. better term. Um, you you've just got your top stuff. You know who's playing what, and you know who's you know good at playing what um so even if so say like you know the, the big fish in your pond really loves to play you know rippas and normally we wouldn't maybe consider rippas to always be you know 
top tier, but because they're really good with them, you know that you need to be ready for Rippas no matter what, because you're, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to be at the top table against you. Um, mm. it, it sort of means that you need to change some of that planning, knowing that, um, these certain people are going to be playing specific things that you're aware of. But I think otherwise, everything else stays exactly the same. The, the play mm. styles, the, the game itself doesn't change. It's just what's the distribution. Um, and mm. so your planning can be a little bit different. Yeah, it can be more more specific, I suppose. So I think, um, you can, and, and maybe to put a finer point on that, you can take some, some more risks in your play style because you have, you, you can know more precisely what you can just dodge outright that's a good point sure you have a you have a better sense of what you don't have to worry about um we have a local coming up this sunday and yeah I, I can say I, i'm pretty sure i'm safe from reavers and you know like i don't have to put a ton of <laughs> yeah, time into thinking right they don't think we have anyone uh locally playing that um on the flip side i know i better be thinking about banshees and yeah uh, i know like i i need more reps into rothcorn because phil's gonna uh eat my lunch with that so. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah right exactly adapt adapt to the specifics of your area so um i think that might do it i we're, we're about out of time here so should we uh should yeah, we wrap up let's wrap it up all right so as always thanks to everybody um for listening for uh, giving us comments when we when we put the episodes up they're they're read and they're greatly appreciated um we uh if I see him, I, I make sure to go share him, uh, not only with Phil, but with the rest of the, the Mortal Realms team. I think everybody get, gets a kick out of um, seeing that. So um, your your comments and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And if you want to give us that, you can do that at uh, on Twitter at, at WTHCast, uh, whatthexcast at gmail.com. Both those are in the show notes. <laughs> you can always get at any of our shows at themortalrealms.com. Coming up, we uh, we may be doing an Adepticon wrap. Uh, we may not. Uh, we'd really love to get a uh, another cornisode. Um, might uh, might be looking for uh, Matt Martin, our our chief corn correspondent, Ooh, um, yeah. in on that. Um, we uh, we still uh, have a Gitzisode on the way, uh, working on that. So um, those are all in the mix. If there's something you especially want to uh, hear, let us know. Uh, in the meantime, your recommended listening for this episode was uh, Know Your Enemy by Rage Against the Machine. And uh, for What the Hex, I've been Davey. And this is Phil. realms.com slash patreon if you want to throw something in the tip jar to um to to patreon stuff oof um all right uh you can always get all uh all the information or all the um oof i am messing this up uh you can always get (laughs) Um, but before that, a uh, little bit of context, we're recording on the 11th of March and, uh, we got to see, uh, Morgaith, Mor- uh, I think it's Morgwaith. I think there's a Morgwaith. W in there. I think so. That's so, 